Visit licentureexams.com and try our samples completely free of charge. Hello, all you wonderful therapists out there, and welcome back to our Licensure Exams podcast. I'm Dr. Linton Hutchinson, coming to you from warm and cozy Florida, and I'm with my co-host, Stacy Frost, who is currently braving the frosty 20-degree weather in Michigan. Has the chills seeped into your bones yet? And are you perhaps considering moving back here, Stacy? <laughs> are you kidding me, Linton, and give up my treasured mitten and scarf collection? <laughs> Never. Uh, I'll have you know that I just invested in a new pair of long johns. I'll bet you did. Yes. So this newly official Michigander is impervious to cold now. I've got my new long johns on under my snowsuit, hand warmers in my mittens, and a knitted hat pulled down over my eyebrows. I'm snug as a bug. A little winter weather isn't going to stop me from our mission to equip therapists with the knowledge to pass their licensing exams. I'll bet you're nice and toasty there, Stacy. <laughs> I am. Never been toastier. Oh, that's the spirit. Now that we've got the blood pumping, let's warm up our brains and demystify some disorders. Which one are we covering today, Stace? Well, as you may know, there's a new disorder in the DSM-5-TR and it's called prolonged grief disorder. What? You mean I've got to buy another DSM? But I just finished off paying my student loans. Man, I can't believe that. I can't just continue using the DSM-5 I purchased last year, Stacy. Afraid not, afraid not. Well, it was hard enough when I had to go from the DSM-3 to the DSM-4, and then the DSM-4-TR, and then to the 5. And now you're telling me the exam is now based on the DSM-5-TR. We've already lost a number of familiar diagnoses along the way, and now this? That's right, bucko. You need to suck it up, spend some moolah, and get up to date with the profession there, buddy. If you miss the exam by one point because you cheated out, Linton, you're going to regret it. Just remember, I warned you. Okay, okay, okay. I get the message. So uh, <laughs> tell me again, what were we covering? Looks like someone could also work on their attending skills. Well, today we'll be talking about how you can distinguish between prolonged grief disorder and uncomplicated bereavement or normal grief. Okay. So uncomplicated bereavement, if you haven't heard of this, is located way in the back of the DSM-5-TR, hiding under the additional conditions or problems that may be a focus of clinical attention. And the brand new shiny minted prolonged grief disorder is sandwiched between adjustment disorders and other specified trauma and stressor-related disorders. Got it. Even though grief is a normal reaction to loss, in some cases, it becomes really pathological and turns into a mental disorder. The DSM-5-TR distinguishes between grief that follows a normal trajectory of grief versus prolonged grief that is persistent and, most importantly, impedes functioning. With prolonged grief disorder, the grieving process must be clearly out of proportion or inconsistent with cultural, religious, or age-appropriate norms. And what are those areas of functioning that you might want to know for the exam, Stacy? Ah, so this is where your memory device comes in handy, Linton. Ah, you mean ROSE, R-O-S-E? Mm-hmm. ROSE, Relational, Occupational, Social and educational functioning. Mm -hmm. That's the one. So yeah. ROSE is a great way to remember the different areas of functioning. In order to diagnose any mental disorder, 
the client has to exhibit impairment in at least one of those areas. So let's start by clarifying the criteria for prolonged grief disorder. This disorder involves an intense yearning or longing for the deceased and or a preoccupation with the deceased or the circumstances of the death. Mm -hmm. But haven't you forgot about durations? Duration is the most important thing for making that diagnosis or differentiating, wouldn't you say? I would, yep. So for prolonged grief disorder, according to the DSM-5-TR, if your client is an adult, you can't even consider making this diagnosis until it's been at least 12 months since a death. Ah, uh, okay. And if your client is a child or an adolescent, that time frame is decreased to six months. Six months. Why is there a difference in the duration? So overall, the intent is to diagnose prolonged grief disorder faster in children and adolescents so that treatment can start early to support normal functioning and development. And the shorter time frame acts as kind of a safety net for youth who are trying to navigate their grief. Their coping skills are less established, so diagnosing prolonged grief disorder earlier allows for treatment and intervention before lasting effects become solidified. That actually makes sense. So what else is important for making a diagnosis? Well, there's a cluster of symptoms that must be present for most days. What are those? Okay, so since the loss, the client has to be experiencing at least three of these symptoms. Three. All right, get ready. Yep, I got a list here. Okay. <laughs> okay, so disrupted sense of identity following the death, such as feeling that a part of oneself died along with the deceased, a persistent disbelief or inability to accept the reality of the loss, avoidance of people, places, objects, or other reminders of the deceased, overwhelming feelings of sorrow, anger, or bitterness related to the death, difficulty re-engaging in social, occupational, or other activities after the death, emotional numbness or detachment following the death, loss of a sense of purpose or meaning in life since the death, and I got one more here, mm -hmm. a profound sense of loneliness or isolation due to the absence of the deceased. So Linton, <laughs> that's a whole long list of symptoms there. Do it you have sure a memory is. device? Well, a matter of fact, I have a sentence that sort of encapsulates that. Mm -hmm. Here it is. After my initial disbelief regarding my partner's death, there was a period of avoidance and profound sorrow and anger before I chose to re-engage with others to move past my numbness, renew my sense of purpose, and ease my loneliness. Wow, it almost sounds poetic. Want to say that again, Linton? Oh, okay. <laughs> After my initial disbelief regarding my partner's death, there was a period of avoidance and prolonged sorrow and anger before I chose to re-engage with others to move past my numbness, renew my sense of purpose, and ease my loneliness. All right. I see what you've done here. We'll have to practice this a little bit more, but I think it's going to work for me. Okay. Thanks, Stacey. And oh, yeah. These symptoms typically appear within the first few months following a death. The duration of prolonged grief disorder symptoms may be particularly long-lasting for parents that unfortunately are grieving the death of a child. Mm -hmm. And what about children who experience a loss? Maybe they lost a parent or a sibling. How would their presentation maybe look different than it would if you're treating an adult client? Their distress may manifest through play, behavioral changes, developmental setbacks, and separation anxiety. Like? Well, 
young kids may become angry or they'll melt down when their daily routines are performed differently than how the deceased did them, such as what you do, your morning rituals, new foods that are given to eat, discipline, or going to bed, any kind of transitional periods. If those are altered, then you may see them go ahead and melt out. They may express intense anxiety about their future safety and health and repeatedly ask questions about death due to not grasping its permanence. And they'll continually ask, where's mommy? Where's daddy? Where's my brother? Where's my sister? When are they going to come home? And they may engage in searching behaviors in hopes of literally reuniting with the dead. So they may look around the house trying to find where that person is. Mm -hmm. Common somatic symptoms include sleep, appetite, digestive, and energy disturbances. The loss can also make kids feel different from their peers, especially during events such as Mother's Day, Father's Day, or when they see a friend playing with their sibling. Gotcha. Well, thanks, Linton. That's really helpful. Um, let's walk through a few case studies to make this information a little bit more concrete. What do you say? Okay. So how about Joanna? You read my mind. All right. Joanna is a 32-year-old woman, and her husband and their infant died in a car accident about 18 months ago. Oh. Since their deaths, Joanna has been unable to return to her work as a teacher. She's withdrawn socially unable to face friends and family without breaking down. She feels utterly alone and like no one understands her grief. Joanna spends most of her time at home crying and looking through old photos of her husband and infant. She continually goes into her daughter's room thinking she will somehow be there. Then she flips and feels angry that her husband left her and guilty about his and their daughter's death because she didn't stop him from driving that day. Then she thinks it's all her fault. Then the next second, she feels like they could both walk through the door. Wow. It sounds like Joanne is really having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. From what you described, she's likely suffering from prolonged grief disorder based on the duration. You know, it's been more than 12 months since her husband and infant died and functional impairment. She can't go back to work. Mm -hmm. Now let's contrast this with uncomplicated bereavement. Well, with uncomplicated bereavement or normal grief, the intense sadness and longing tend to gradually subside after the loss. So the grieving person slowly starts to adjust to life without the deceased, returns to their usual activities, and establishes a new identity. Okay. Well, let's take the example of uncomplicated bereaf with Samuel, whose wife died of cancer six months ago. Mm -hmm. The first few months were extremely difficult for Samuel. But with the support of friends and family, he has started to go out again. He's picked up some new hobbies and recently returned to work part-time. He still misses his wife terribly, but is learning to adapt to this new reality. Mm -hmm. So the critical difference is that Samuel's grief symptoms are steadily improving over time rather than persisting at a severe level. Right. His functioning is largely intact, unlike Joanna, who remains completely debilitated. That's an excellent point, Stacy. The duration and intensity of symptoms really is the critical distinguishing factor. Prolonged grief will require clinical intervention. Absolutely. Left untreated, prolonged grief disorders associated with adverse health outcomes like depression, substance abuse, and even suicidal ideation. So that's why it's really, really important for therapists to recognize the signs and provide appropriate support. Okay, let me ask you a question. 
When my grandfather, who was a minister, died, my father told us that my grandfather would be coming back anytime soon with Jesus and Moses at his side. Okay, and how long did that last? Hmm, it's been a while since my grandfather passed, but I'd say it seemed to last for a few months, and then somehow we didn't hear about it anymore. Okay. Well, it sounds a little bit like brief psychotic disorder. Uh Uh, That disorder involves a short-term breakdown in a person's connection to reality. And it's often brought on by significant stress, in this case, maybe your grandfather's passing. Right. And symptoms like delusions arise suddenly, but tend to resolve within one month. Of course, before you make this diagnosis, it's really important to take the person's cultural and religious background into consideration when determining whether the belief is delusional. Okay. Well, what about prolonged grief disorder? Well, psychotic symptoms can occur with prolonged grief disorder, but that's not part of the diagnostic criteria. So you may see it, but it's not required to make the diagnosis. And at any rate, the duration of your dad's belief or delusion didn't last long enough to qualify for a diagnosis of prolonged grief disorder. And you didn't mention any other symptoms. So it sounds like it was just one symptom related to grief that, you know, resolved itself. Hmm. Okay. Well, thanks, Stacey. How about a wrap up? Sure. All right. Prolonged grief disorder involves an intense yearning for the deceased, preoccupation with the loss, and significant impairment in functioning that for adults persists beyond 12 months after the death, or for children and adolescents, six months after the death. Several symptoms must be present most days, including trouble accepting the death, avoidance of reminders, overwhelming emotions, difficulty reengaging in life emotional numbness, a loss of purpose, and profound loneliness due to the absence. In contrast, uncomplicated bereavement is characterized by sadness that gradually subsides over time as the grieving person adjusts to life without the deceased, and functioning largely remains intact. The duration and severity of symptoms are the critical factors in distinguishing between normal grief and pathological grief that requires clinical intervention. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for tuning in today, everybody. Join us next time as we tackle another tricky diagnosis. It's It's in in there. there.